So what do you want to talk about, dude? Um, well, let's talk about, well, a friend of mine once told me that all people really want to talk about at the end of the day is uh, politics and God. And I certainly didn't come here to talk about politics. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Talking about God this week. And uh, we already talked to Caitlin beforehand. She said she was going to take care of it. It's week two. So Caitlin's going to be leading this study for us. Thank you. Oh, they can actually hear you fine. So if you want to add in a zany comment at any point, just go ahead. Caitlin's going to be doing what? I can't tell the difference between your jokes and your realities. We'll be talking and she'll be giving a commentary. Oh, okay. It can be as sassy as you want. We'll probably edit it out for kids. She's, she's, not, a, she's not a sassy person. She she's, all. she's a very sweet person that attempts to be sassy. I try. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. It's all a facade. <laughs> I guess... The main question that comes out of this study is why try? We talked about this on the last time we tried to make a podcast, but <laughs> it was X-rated because... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> why try? So how could you have a relationship with somebody you don't know? And why would you try to know God if you can't understand Him fully? Why should we be seeking after the understanding of God? It's the main question that comes out of this. And in ways, it seems like a paradox that you would... Go out of your way to understand something that can't be understood. But if we don't understand God, if we don't understand who our God is, if we don't understand where we stand with Him, then our relationship will always remain distant. It's like um, viewing your mother as somebody who just feeds you and sometimes buys you cool things. And if that's the way you're going to view her, then you're not going to be able to foster a relationship with her. You're not going to get anywhere outside of this person sustains me just because, I don't know. But I guess trying to reach your, like if you tried to look at your parents' motives, if you tried to really connect with why do they do these things, then that would be the step towards appreciating them in a different way and growing in a relationship with them. So that's kind of what we're trying to get at when we are going after the understanding of God. But yeah, most of the issues we have with God are gonna boil down to a misunderstanding of God and a misunderstanding of where we stand compared to him. Any comments on that? If I had comments, I would comment. <laughs> well, let's hop into it. <laughs> Who is God? I've got a couple of tributes of God's written down here, and there's a lot of tributes of God. Attributes of God? Actually, I looked this up because I kept saying it a lot. Attributes is a verb. Attributes is a noun. Huh. Oh, wait, maybe it's the other way around. Nope, attributes is the verb. Attributes is the noun. Tribute? Attributes and attributes are different things? Yeah, they're they're different. Because I looked it up, I was like, people are pronouncing it different Well, you have to attribute something. Right, if you're attributing to the conversation. But what you're you're using is the noun form. Right. An attribute. The attributes. You have an attribute, Mm -hmm. and you attribute things. So we're saying the attributes of God. Yes. I don't remember which one I even said at this point. (laughs) You were saying um, attributes of God. So we're talking about the attributes of God. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) 
I like this podcast. I, 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 I like you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to be talking about God at all, let's start with Psalm 63.1 again. Let me try to find that in my real Bible this time. And this will just kind of put us in a mindset of where we should be when we want to understand more God. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry, weary land where there is no water. So it doesn't say, like, oh God, my God, I understand you. Or, like, I understand everything about you. And David never claims that he understands God. But what he does constantly claim is that he's seeking after God, which is the main point here. It's that just because we will never understand God, it doesn't discount the benefits that we get by seeking after God and going after God with everything we have. So, no, you will never understand God, but it doesn't hurt to try. God is holy. Psalm 77:13 You find verses faster than I do. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is greater like What God is great like our God? God is holy, and because he is holy, that's sort of his central attribute. His central attribute. His central attribute is his holiness. Because the word holy in itself means set above. He's set above and he's set apart. He, and this is not, when it says God is holy, it's like, holy here isn't like a verb. Holy is a noun, right? Mm -hmm. So this is God. God is this thing. God is holy. Not just in one thing. God is holy in everything he does. And everything God is and everything God does is set so much far apart and so much far above, so much more far above humanity. So much farther. That we can't even <laughs> I'm sorry. comprehend it. Look, if you're going to be correct in my grammar, this podcast is going to be like three hours long. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, I think SoundCloud puts a limit on it. I'm not paying for a limited SoundCloud. <laughs> Until we get that Audible money for it. <laughs> By the way, Audible, um. Audible, if you're out there, <laughs> we're totally ready to start talking about you anytime. <laughs> yeah. We all listen to Audible anyway. It wouldn't be that <laughs> difficult. And uh. I, I would certainly start if you paid me money. <laughs> um, I think it's definitely an important thing um, to remember that many of these aspects of God, such as um, His holiness and goodness and um, love, for instance, it's truthfully said that God is love and God is holy. It's not a weird personification. Like, if you could get all the goodness to w in the world together and bundle it up, it would be inside of God. It's that God is the manifestation of this holiness, I guess. <laughs> it's a difficult concept to articulate, I guess. But um, you can go to First Timothy four four for that one. Yeah. What's that say? First uh, Timothy four four and then James one seventeen. So you go to Timothy, I'll go to James. Okay. This is talking about 
So we're, we're talking about how God is the manifestation of good and God is the manifestation of holy. Mm-hmm. But it goes even further than that to say that not only is God completely good, everything he makes is good. 4-4. Four, four. You want me to read first? Yeah, go ahead. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected. If it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And then James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light, of whom there is no shadow due to variation or change. Oh, I said that wrong. I tried to say it from memory, and I said it wrong. Of whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So not only is God good, everything that God creates is good. Everything that is good is from God. Mm-hmm. And because God is holy, which is where you kind of start from, everything that bran- everything God is sort of branches off that holiness. And holiness is sort of, I read an article that said like the central hub of God's attributes. It's where everything starts from because you can trace it back to his holiness. So his knowledge... He's far, his small, just set above any humans. He can comprehend and understand things far above anybody else. His mercy is far above humanity's standards. His power, his sovereignty is unmatched. And even things like his wrath. I, th- I think we said that in youth group, and Tucker said jokingly, like, what, is God so much more angry than we can imagine? Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> He's, like, God's anger is, like, picture, like, the maddest your dad has ever been at you. God's anger is, like, totally makes that tiny comparison I like the phrase that you used the branching out of Um, I use this when I talk about goodness a lot that um, it's easiest to understand to get an idea of the nature of God being good when you think of when you picture the starting out at the branches when you say this is good which means it has come from god so you're following you're following it back i guess Mm -hmm. so like this verse says that everything um that comes from god is good (sighs) when i start talking i completely lose my train of thought but um People aren't listening to this for uh, actual education. It's mainly just to listen to your voice anyway. <laughs> it, it's it's like a tree, whereas like every good attribute we see in the world, every good gift that comes mm-hmm. down, you can trace back to something. You can trace back to the holiness of God mm-hmm. and the way that It's the same way with um, the wrath, though. I think it's Mm -hmm. an important aspect. Um, Just the way that we understand the world, if you start out by grasping this idea that everything ultimately comes from God and not in a... I think we think of it too easily in a more general sense that like all these nice things that I have, God gave them to me, but in a more fundamental sense of... Um, so, so you're getting your, your compassion comes from God yeah. 
not that he gives you the ability to be compassionate like um, I'm feeling I'm feeling real crappy today but God allowed me to feel compassionate in the more real sense of compassion emanates from God it's coming from him through you into the world it's not it's not at all in any way your compassion because that goodness is coming from God so it's not a yeah so I think it's more realistic to picture it as um, rather than a like a box that he hands you and then you hand to someone else it's a river flowing from him just going through the world and you're like a sieve that it goes it goes through but you're not really actively participating in the same way that I mean and it's like that on the reverse side too like we talked about that how even the evil things that are in us and the bad things in the world generally come from a corruption of something good mm-hmm. that God has or something good that God that comes from God but then it's corrupted by our flesh um it's like um I think this is really like jumping up in terms of examples but I guess anger murder and stuff like that mm-hmm. um generally I nobody thinks they're the bad guy so generally when people are acting out as people we see of enemies in the world people like Hitler and stuff but obviously not Hitler in this specific <laughs> example <laughs> but people who we see as bad guys nobody sees themselves as the bad guy they think they're acting out in justice and generally even the evil in the world can be traced back to something good because God is just himself. God is somebody who gets angry when he sees injustice. Injustice. Somebody who gets angry when he sees corruption. And I think there's a lot of that in our society of people just angry. Most of the time we don't even know what we're angry about. I don't know what I'm angry about. I'm angry at all the time. And I don't know what in the world I have to be angry about. And that's all, once again, coming from God. And then the world sort of corrupts that. I don't even... I think when um, using that um, metaphor of the river again, the idea is that God is the source of... I like to think of... um, Phrase it as reality. Like, everything that most truly is, like, emanates from him. Right, you can't really think of anything that's not from God at its roots. And then... He allows us to act as these funnels that um, channel his reality from one place to another, but in that, we never let it through perfectly, and so we add just a little bit of our own twist off to the side, and so um, his natural anger becomes something that can lead to murder, or... um, his natural love can lead to jealousy or, um, like, possessiveness, I guess. And just all of those um, everyday mm-hmm. evils, I guess. And I guess if you, it comes back to the concept that God has set above. And even the good things we try to do and all that. It's just, the difference is, is it's just... We're not there. We're not at that level of God. We're not at that level of perfection. Like you said, we can add just a little twist on something that God intended to be good, and it's essentially not perfect anymore. 
And once it's not perfect, it's not holy anymore. All right. I, I like that little segment. We're done with the first step. That's pretty much where we want to start off. That's pretty much the general foundation you have to have when it comes to looking at God is that God's ways are way above yours in everything he does and that everything that is in this world comes from God. That's where you have to stop and say, I am not at the level of God. It's kind of like the first... I wanted to think of something clever here, but it's the first thing you have to admit once you are standing before God. And that kind of ties off to this idea of God's sovereignty. God's rule is absolute. God has a right to rule because he is holy. And a couple, a couple of the uh, criticisms of God in our modern society genuinely come down to this idea of the rebellion against God. Ideas like, questions like, why would a perfect God, why does the kind God, why is the gentle God, why would a loving God let this happen or do this? And where you have to start with that is that it doesn't really matter what you as a person think is fair. It doesn't really matter what society calls fair. God was here before your society started. He was before here before your culture. He was before the world. He was before the universe. And he's going to be around forever. It doesn't matter. And I, and you put a, you put a note off this. I don't want to just say like, um, like discount anybody's standard of what's fair. Because like you said, that's something that comes from God as well. This is another one of God's good things. God's, uh, God's just. So God's sense of justice is in us. The thing is, once we, like you said, that river flows into us of God's justice. But if we change that at all, if we it, it corrupt it at all, it's not fair. So all that God does is right because it's God's nature. Mm-hmm. Everything God does is good because God is good. Mm-hmm. God doesn't make decisions based off humanity. He doesn't make decisions based off the standards of humanity. He acts according to his own righteous will. What humanity does and what humanity thinks, he, I don't want to say he doesn't care. He doesn't make his decisions based off, um, I wonder what the news is going to say about this. Like, Our standards of fairness are, are not holy. They're not holy. They're nowhere near the level of God's standard of justice. God's set above in that as well. Nobody is like him and none are fit to, as fit to rule as him. And something I never really thought about before I started the study was that God has defended his right. He has a right to rule. And which seems strange to me because I'm like, I don't see why God would ever have to defend this mm-hmm. or why he would need a right. If anybody challenged him, he could squash him. But Job thirty-eight through forty-two <coughs> is some of the <coughs> some of the most like amazing, and I'm trying to use this word in its actual actual root. There, like it's actually some incredible scripture. Awesome. Awesome. It's awe-inspiring scripture in Job thirty-eight through thirty-two. If you haven't heard the story of Job, and the summary was, Job was a good guy, and God let some bad things happen to him. He was considered perfect in the eyes of people. 
And once God starts allowing these bad things to happen to Job, the people around him instantly say, Hey, Job, doesn't sound like God's being fair to you right now. You've been a pretty good dude, and God is uh, taking away all your wealth, and like he loses some of his children. He loses his friends. He loses his everything he's worked for, his um, his land, his wealth, just everything. He's losing everything. And his friends are constantly coming around him saying, mock, like, turn against God, um, curse God. He's treated you unfairly here. And this is where it gets really crazy for me. So Job says to his friends, nope, God's not treated me unfairly. And he goes off on this big speech about who God is. But so even after he denies his friends and says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn against God. I'm not going to curse God. He goes to God. And at this point, he's at his breaking point and he's demanding an answer from God. He's making a defense for himself. So he's saying, he's saying to God, he's like, God, I've lived my whole life to the best of my abilities and I've done everything I have for you. Why are you doing this? And he starts assuming some of the motivations of God. And then God sends this prophet, Elihu, and Elihu rebukes him and he proclaims his magic. And then after, I'm probably murdering that word. <laughs> it's E-L-I-H-U, Elihu. 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 Something like that. I don't know. Probably murdered it. <laughs> He's and, a guy that died a couple of thousand years ago. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Eli who? Yeah. Eli who? Um, yeah, he, he talks, he gives Job this rebuke, and he talks about the majesty of God. And then the Lord himself answers to Job. And it says, out of a whirlwind, which is kind of a cool imagery. I don't really know how that's working out. Mm. A whirlwind. Like a tornado just swoops down and like talks to Job. I don't know. That's not the important part. It's still cool though. Still cool. <laughs> Job thirty-eight, starting from the beginning. I don't know how far I'll read this. It, like it doesn't cease to be cool at any point. There's no point where you can be like just read verses one through six, and that's pretty much it. It just keeps getting cooler as you read on. Mm. So later in the um, towards the end of Job, it starts to repeat itself a bit. Um, I think that is mostly for emphasis, but the point is that God comes down and says to Job, you little man, you think you know anything about what's going on. I'm God. I, I have plans more complicated than you can even imagine. Your place is to follow me. <laughs> And don't ask questions. <laughs> and it was crazy to me because in my own, in my own little um, sense of right here, I was like, "Geez, God, you know, think you'd give Job a break here? He's kind of been pretty, pretty cool dude about this." But I, God sees right to the heart. Like people were like, "Wow, Job is a righteous man. He had all these things taken from him, and he didn't even curse God." Mm. Like, yeah, you're not supposed to curse God. Ever. Ever. Like, that's just something God expects out of us because he expects perfection. And the fact that it took him a long time to get to that point makes him pretty good by our standards. Right. It's like, yeah, God. I mean, I think when we when we say our standards, we're always doing it in comparison to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're always saying, like, 
I don't know if I would be able to do that. So I definitely wouldn't be able to. Right. So like, Job's pretty great. Job is compared to me. Job is pretty great. <coughs> but in the same way, that's in the way that we compare ourselves to others, and so that's our sense of morality. God does the same thing. So mm-hmm. He's comparing you to Him, and He's saying that doesn't mean anything. God sees straight to the heart of Job, mm-hmm. and Job starts assuming things like, and almost that would be. A good place to start this idea of understanding God is just because you are chasing after the understanding of God. Don't think to assume that you know the motivations of God, because mm-hmm. as according to this, I he doesn't say, take kindly to uh, people thinking they know more than God Himself does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I finished my last statement saying something along the lines of "Don't ask questions," which I felt a little uncomfortable even then saying because I'm not sure God ever wants us to. Stop not asking to questions. stop asking questions because I think a quest for truth is one of our most important goals here on earth. But I think there's a difference between seeking God's will and making accusations. Mm-hmm. Like assuming that you have seen through God's uh, veil and been like, oh, I see what you're really after. You're trying to mm-hmm. screw me over. And God's like, shut up. Little boy, I've got the best case scenario working out here. And that's basically what what Job had done is like he was saying, like I'm starting. I understand what God had done, what God's trying to tell me through these trials, mm-hmm. and what God what God's plan is with these trials, and what God's response basically is. Is I'll just read a couple of the verses here. Is like, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, "Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge?" Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases stunk? Stunk? (laughs) What were its bases sunk? And who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the sea with its doors? Or burst out from the womb, when it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, and the thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no farther, and here shall be your proud waves safe. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. And it just goes on and on, and it's in, it's crazy when it he talks about things that you wouldn't even think about. Who laid down the measurements of the earth? Usually just think of God's creation where he just kind of sat there and he was like, I want something cool. And he snapped his fingers and it just was. Mm. But, you know, laid down the measurements. God was meticulous about his creation. He thought about every single detail. I think that's a major thing. This is a bit of a tangent, but it's something that I often think about. Um, Like when you're in a biology class, just looking at how complex um, and efficient everything is down um, to a scale most people can't even really understand um, how perfectly everything fits together um, to make small systems which fit together to make larger systems which fit together to make larger systems and it's easy to think of God just like you said snapping his fingers and bam there's a car mm-hmm. but he had to have that car fully formed in his mind and not only the car but uh, the shape of the car, but the engine and the system that made that, 
but not only that, but the molecular structure of each of those elements and how they fit together and just this whole system is so complex it's more than people can even really imagine but it's something that had to be fully formed in the mind of this being like as a solid as a solid structure and i can't i don't know it, it, it even just trying to talk about it gives you an idea just how a great he is you know and that's a good tangent to go off because something i think about too is like when you see creative humans creative humans are nothing without inspiration and everything around them that inspire them is from god you have to think god created all these things and when it says like it says like in genesis 1 like before he created the world there was nothing there Mm -hmm. god created this without like no any, inspiration. Any ins- this is all him. It was divine inspiration, I guess. Maybe that's what that means. I don't know. I don't know. Divine inspiration, I think, means inspiration from God. So I guess I, I, it, technically, it's, yeah, it it's was from, from him. him. But basically, he didn't have he didn't have a starter kit to go off here. Yeah. He didn't open the box having instructions. Like this is all just. I refer to humans as shapers, over. Um as shapers rather than makers we there's nothing that we can truly create rather we take the materials given to us and put them together in new and interesting shapes but i don't think there's ever a time when somebody has a truly original thought absolutely if you can you can look at the patterns of music Uh over the past 40 years and like you'll start to see humans like like 10 songs <laughs> and we like to do those 10 songs differently over time like humans do like things that like sort of that's why we i don't know what is that why we like superhero remakes so much Just because we like old <laughs> things making with a new twist and that's really all we can do at the end of the day mm. and that's this is all going back to god has a right to rule because you know, like I said, who who could be like God? Who could create from nothing? You know, where were we when we laid, when God laid down those foundations of the earth? Where were we when He set down every measurement? Measurement. Who compares to the ones who hold back the mighty seas? Who among us saw the birth of the mountains? That was one of my favorite one verses in there. Is who saw the birth of the mountain, like an actual mountain being formed right in front of your eyes? Nobody sees that. Nobody but God. God's right to rule over everything is found in the fact that nothing ever has or ever will exist that comes close to the knowledge and the power of God. And I think we've I think we've had this conversation before where um, you were kind of crapping on my socialist views. Hmm. And it pretty much bring politics into your religion podcast. We well, can make a political podcast if you want. Basically, it comes down to is like. Um, the best possible government that would ever exist mm. is a tyranny with a perfect tyrant. Mm. It, so a theocracy. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. The problem that humans have with ty- tyranny is that the leader is generally flawed. <laughs> generally. Um. But if you had a leader that had 
had no flaws at all and that was set above anything and everything that ever existed, I'd say we'd hand the reins to him pretty quickly. I don't think we need a Congress there. Like, I don't think... Oh, no, absolutely. I don't think, I don't that was think the God argument he's... I was making, that socialism is stupid like... <laughs> and tyranny is the only thing that makes sense. The only problem is we don't have an adequate tyrant on hand. I'm, I'm like, I don't think God needs any checks and balances in his government system. I think... Uh, no. Well, unless, unless the Trinity is check and balances. Ooh, that's a... <laughs> That's now we spiral off into the nature of the Trinity. <laughs> that's probably a terrible assumption by Cole, but I don't know. There are a lot of aspects. Um, I mean, my understanding, without giving it decades of thought, is that um, the purpose, or at least a purpose of the Trinity, is the function of love, because love needs an object, and so for God to be love, he has to have something to love, and so there has to be no part of God that God can love, I guess. Well, okay. And so I think in the same way that God can be the perfect leader because he's got himself to be checking over his shoulder. <laughs> I mean, I almost, uh, I almost don't want to go off on this tangent, but I'm going to. We were just talking we're about upload this anyway. we were talking about the pre-existence of Jesus right before we started this podcast and how. Oh crap! I gotta find the. I gotta find the verse now. We're. Jesus said that God loved him before the world even existed. Mm -hmm. So maybe that stuff that we said in youth group about how God created love when he created the world is not true because apparently he was loving before the world. I didn't say that because God is love. I said that. That's because I've got got better uh, theology than you here, Coleman. Well, theology don't mean nothing to God. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like, man, I was reading a verse about that somewhere recently. I'm going to be mad that I can't think of it. But seeking the nature of God is really important. And I would argue that that's what theology is. Right. But it doesn't make you better than me. <laughs> I don't know. If I understand God better than you do, doesn't that make me better than you, you little punk? Not, not really at all. God sees no. piece of crap okay. next to the piece of crap. To be fair, I totally agree with Cole. Yeah. One piece of crap is just like another piece of crap. Like just this piece of crap got a little sprinkles on it. <laughs> uh, we'll all be glorified in heaven. <laughs> I won't be as sad anymore. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, See my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay. Quiet in the library. I'm so quiet. <laughs> you really are. I think that pretty much answers that question. God didn't need Imagine us to love. That. He already we get loved our answers Jesus. from the Bible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think, again, Tucker uh, said in during your study. Sorry to crap on you, Tucker. (laughs) No, this is actually, he said something about um, him always believing that God creating us was for our benefit because he was perfect in and of himself. And so... Keep talking. I'm going to make adjustment real quick. Okay. Um, Yeah, but it was just that idea that um, God doesn't need us. I've heard it speculated before that God made us because he was like lonely or something, or maybe that um, 
like you said, that um, he needed something to love. But I would argue that perfection means perfection. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing it requires. Rather, he made us for our own benefit. That um, there would be more goodness, if not better in any way, really. And I think to even apply that sometimes is a form of like humanism or raising humans of God. Mm-hmm. And that's that's some con- <clears throat> it's funny that you said that because there's actually some relevant controversy about that right now within the church because of a very popular song by Hillsong. It's what a wonderful what a wonderful name it is. You know that mm-hmm. one. It's got a line in it that's getting some controversy and it it was it's a little strange because it's a very beautifully written line. And because of that you think it's a, it's a beautiful song. It is a beautiful it's a beautifully written song that's got possibly some heresy in it. <laughs> Why and do they always gotta sneak that in there? The line says that you didn't want heaven without us. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Mm-hmm. And that fills you with like this emotion of like Jesus shook the foundations of heaven to to help humanity. Mm-hmm. But it may not be correct. It may not be a thing that actually happened. Like, first, and see, first I of always all, have that. I always have that in the back of my mind whenever we're singing worship songs, and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Is this theologically accurate?" But I tend, I, I, I tend to err now more on the side of like, "Eh, we're worshiping God." Like the exact, the exact wording doesn't matter as much as the idea that we're. But I can definitely see that some people would like right, latch on to these words right, too like, much and be like, "Oh, that's how it is." It's like our, pa- our <clears> pastor <throat> said before that um. If you make your one motivation to glorify God, then shout out to Chad. Um, hey Chad, <laughs> then you know he's gonna he's got something to work with. He can start pointing you in the right direction there, even if you're not hitting stuff on the mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but see, like somebody told me, hey, you should do that song, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm gonna give that song a little space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. You said it's getting controversy in the church. Is it right? There's some people who refuse to sing it now. Mm-hmm. And so, is it an institution of the church, or is it just a bunch of Christians are arguing? Just sort of like, it? there's certain churches that are against it right now. It's okay, like just that the makes collective sense. church. Yeah, I would definitely err towards staying away from possible heresy. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the good side to err on. <clears throat> but. Yeah. God is omnipotent. It's like we talked before, before about God being doesn't need inspiration to even create. God um God isn't limited by the human mind and he's capable of all we can imagine and so much more. So I don't actually have all that much on this cuz it seems pretty straightforward. I don't there's so many arguments to be had about omnipotence. I yeah. think, however, we agree on most of them, so not much to be said here. But even the things we agree on, <laughs> mm-hmm. we just sort of agree on them because they make sense and they help us sleep. But like, <laughs> <laughs> when you like, think about it, right? Like, and once again, like this is just one of those things. Like, we're never gonna be like, okay, we wrote a paper and now we understand how God understands everything. Oh it's yeah, just... for sure. This is a art. Not an argument exactly, but a discussion had in philosophy all the time is, um, well, it comes down to the discussion over 
what knowledge is even but it's the idea that um can you even have real real knowledge and people will say in the in this context with god that um we can speculate all we want about how omnipotence works but you're not god so you don't have that real understanding so we can say that doesn't make any sense (laughs) but to but to god who gave us logic in the first place there might be super logic that we don't understand but unfortunately logic is what he's given us to work with so we more or less have to go off of that i mean and i think the general idea that me and you both hold is that god foreknows everything like he's got foreknowledge of everything well that's omniscience right yeah and sometimes that gets tricky with the idea of free will. We're not going to dive into that. Cause we're not quite smart enough for that. <laughs> and and really, even the people who are smart about smart enough, they don't really get anywhere when they talk about it. It just it's, it's mostly, kind of I'm right. No, I'm mess. Right. It's a mess. Free will. The you Bible. Know, you know what? The Bible the doesn't talk about of people are pitching now that free will isn't actually a thing. Like, that's what the media is. Like, have you heard that? Like, people are actively saying, the philosophical standpoint right now is that free will isn't actually real. And I'm like, if free will's not real, (laughs) how are we functioning right now? The most common (laughs) argument I've heard from, like, a naturalist or secular view was, like, just, just in the way that, like, does a dog have free will, really? Is a dog really choosing to pee on that tree? Is that dog really choosing to hop my leg right now? Like, it's just an, an impulse of nature. Mm-hmm. So they're like, in the same way humans are the same way, they're just self-seeking because mm-hmm. that's what their instincts are for. And as we even evolve, we might get more complicated, but it will all come down to this idea that we're just really yeah. trying to feed ourselves at the that's, end of the day. And, it's mechanism, and, and it doesn't make any sense, though, because... We can talk about dogs all we want, but we don't. We're not inside the head of a dog. All you can really get inside the head of is yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think every person is perfectly aware, no matter how much they want to shove it off on the neurons blasting in their brains. They're like, Did you choose to take Jimmy's candy bar? Actually, the uh, lack of glucose in my system. <laughs> encouraged my neurons to fire in such a way that I was encouraged to take that candy bar which I needed for sustenance. I mean, honestly, there's a little bit of truth in a lot of these views in terms of the naturalist view. It's like, yeah, we're we are self-serving in our own instincts and our own flesh and we're just we're going to be sinful at the end of the day mm. by left to our own devices. But you and we and we come down to this is basically the only choice you really have in free will is am I going to serve God or am I not? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve myself? Is really what it comes down to. I think that's an oversimplification. Right, it's an oversimplification, it's... but we're talking to teenagers, <laughs> and we don't really understand it all that much past this. <laughs> so that's really what you have to boil it down to, because I feel like that the Bible doesn't spend all that much time to laying out exactly what your free will is oh no absolutely we have we have nothing to say in this regard on what the bible says about free will because it doesn't really talk about it all that much yeah so all we can really say is our logical understanding of how free will 
would need to function. And Cole has this sort of binary idea. And I don't think that's wrong necessarily, but... I think it's the best way to approach it for a Christian. Yeah. You have to break it down to, am I going to serve God or am I going to serve myself? I think there are good arguments to be made on a more, much more broad sense of free will. However, what matters to a Christian, most fundamentally, I agree, is that you do have the choice. Are you going to be a good sieve or a bad one? When the river of God flows through you, are you going to try and jank up the flow? Are you just going to let him through? And that's the choice you've got to make. So pretty much... It's, it's kinda, it kind of splits here. God... We talked about how... We've really been talking about how big and great God is right now. Mm-hmm. God is really big and he can do everything. And can he pick up a rock that he's supposed to be able to... Yeah, he can. Just don't even ask the question. Yes, he can. Boo. It's a stupid question. It's a stupid <laughs> question. <laughs> God is knows everything. God can do anything. God has a right to do anything because everything he does is right. Everything he does is good. And God is holy. That's what we've covered so far. And the next thing we're going to cover is how God is all those things and he will always be those things. Like He's not going to change. And this was an important one for me to hit on because at first I was just like, yep, straightforward, God never changes. Not all that deep. But it's so incredibly deep to the fact that God never changes. Mm. Because we are always changing. People always change. I would argue, though, that we change... Everything around... In regards to Him, I suppose. Like, we are becoming more or less like Him. I think, I mean, and so he's the he's the rock that we're built on, you know. Mm-hmm. And so our changes are moving closer and further away from holiness, from the perfection that he built us to be. And but I think the thing is, people aren't the only thing that changes. Time is constantly changing around us. Our culture is constantly changing. The world changes. Change. things change i have an iphone and my mom didn't when she was a kid like that's a huge culture change in and of itself that's i don't want to be argumentative just for the sake of it but i'm afraid that you're building off you're gonna build an argument off of something that i think is about bad foundation because having an iphone now isn't a fundamental change it's a reshaping of the way things are done but the same things are being done we're the same people doing the same junk we've always Look, been doing for 10,000 okay. years. We're the same people doing the same junk. And the, the one I'm getting at is that people are fickle and time are fickle. And Time are, isn't fickle. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> are, people are not reliable because oh, they are absolutely. constantly changing. Absolutely. Our morals are always changing. We don't know where right. we stand. We're in constant flux. You can't put your ho- When you put your hope in humanity, you often get disappointed. When you put your hope in people you will often come up disappointed because... Mm. You'll ultimately always come up disappointed because people are not a solid foundation. And so um, even when people happen to not fail you, I believe that also is the grace of God because those people are tied to God and you're tying yourself to them. And so it's not their own power that's keeping you from falling. 
I, I mean, I even think about things like marriage, like how cra- crazy it could be that how crazy it could be that to think that you're gonna you could spend forty or sixty plus years with somebody. That's oh, crazy. Such a chore. <laughs> That's crazy, and the fact that any marriages work out once again is a grace of God thing, because forty or sixty years will do a deal to you. Like that'll change you a lot. Mm. The thing is, it comes down to yes. <laughs> it comes down to when we put our faith in people, we come up disappointed. But when we put our hope in God, He never falls short. He mm. never changes. He was the same God that was able to build the world. To know it's every measurement. Mm. He's still that same God. And this is important to to remember that God never changes because sometimes people are like, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament seem like drastically, drastically different right? people. Like, that's the kind of argument that gets me close to the, the swearing ground. <laughs> because people will be like, man, Old Testament God was kind of a jerk, you know what I'm saying? But like, he kind of mellowed out in the New Testament. <laughs> He just demands absolute perfection from everybody and uh, proclaims the need for the smiting of the wicked. <laughs> Not nothing yeah. quite as intense as before. <laughs> and you know, Jesus was not Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Like the gospel isn't an afterthought. It's not God was like, Hey people, try to be good and then Adam's like <laughs> Wasn't that good? And then God's like let me go back to the drawing board and rethink something for you. Like, that's not an afterthought of God. Mm. God doesn't change. Like, the same plan that God had was the same God plan God had at the beginning of the world. The same plan He's going to have at the end of the world. We can put our hope in God because He is the same God today, tomorrow, and always, forever. Mm. The same God who spoke to Moses on the mountain. The same God who protected David against Goliath. Giant. <laughs> that's that's giant and Goliath together. Giant. <laughs> um, you know, that's the same God that stands with us. I feel like I should mention, I should reference that verse that Chet has tattooed on his arm about hoping. I think it's in Romans five. I don't know what he's got on his arm. It's about hope. It was, it, it's it was too Greek. metal for me to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can be as. As old man cool as Chad is someday. <laughs> Just. Okay. Yeah, here it is. Oh, we have... I might not have it. I'll just. Romans 5 is all nice. Let's just read it all. <laughs> We're not going to read all of Romans 5. I, I know, but I, we'll, we'll at least read 1 through 6. It's okay. it's somewhere in 1 through 6, and we'll find it along the way. Okay. And we might learn a couple of cool quips on our journey there, because it's about the journey, not the destination. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And I think hope has been defined a lot in our church as positive expectation. Not like there's a good chance that God will be good. 
mm-hmm. is that you're looking forward to God's goodness. You're, you have an expectation and you're ready to see what God will do with this thing because we know that God has been good in the past and he will be good in the future. Yeah. And the word that the article I read used is that God is immutable, never changing at all. That's one of those $100 words I have to explain to people. $100 words. <laughs> and I'm not going to explain it because I don't know it. <laughs> it's pretty much just what you said, you know? You used it correctly. Yeah. Being a big boy. God gets angry. God is wrathful. This is probably, like, the least fun one to talk about. I don't also, know. If you're not in the way... <laughs> God's wrath is necessary and righteous. You, t- you seem to disagree with me on this a little bit. But I've seen... And let's, let's start with scripture. That's Psalms, a good place to start. <laughs> Psalms 51.4. Right. You, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So, every sin, every sin out there, all the bad things are done are not done on one another. It's, in the end, every sin is against God. So, every bad thing we have done, I kind of know where I'm going with this, but I don't. It comes down to it is, an offense, it is an offense to God when we sin. Even when we think it doesn't affect God in any way. Even when we think it doesn't affect anybody else. In the end of the day, it affects God. And I felt like any reaction that is less than anger and wrath would make God less than... Make, would make him not God. Absolutely. I mean, again, this is our limited logic being applied to this situation. But the reality is that Sin is a affront to God. He set up a perfect system, and each time that we fail to implement it, um, is it's not me being mean to my brother. It's me breaking a piece of God's system that's directly opposed to him. And his response to that is wrath. <clears throat> and that's not a value judgment we can make I think it to say it is good because God shows that wrath and God is also good and we can't say about that like oh well I think it would be better if God wasn't angry when we um, are when we set ourselves up in opposition to him I think we should do it a different way and I that's not a It's not our place to make that assumption, I guess. Because it's not us that's been offended here. Yeah. It's God that's been offended. I think too often people try to set themselves up in in God's place. They think, well, if I was God, I would do it this way. But you're not God. (laughs) You don't have any way to even... um, grasp what is needed or required or what that even means. I think a lot of times when people look at the angry God, 
when they try to make this picture of an angry God, they turn to like the angry books of the Bible, Leviticus, <laughs> Deuteronomy, the Numbers. Really Those are the angsty, angry books of the Bible. I don't know. Genocide seems a bit past angst. <laughs> so, and the, the law might be a little bit of a tangent, but I think that's where people get this idea of just a God who's just irrationally angry. They seem to paint this picture of their idea, the idea in their head of like, um, okay, God, uh, 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 my wife cheated on me, so now we all get to stone her? Or, <laughs> like, I'm wearing two different kinds of cloth. You know all those little cherry-picked verses that people use to make Christianity look ridiculous? Yeah. New covenant, boy. <laughs> Ultimate trump card. And, and we won't go into the law. That's a whole, oh, diff- no. that's a yeah, whole different that's... two hour podcast. <laughs> two hours? Yeah, right. It's 48. That, that's, a, that's, that's a job for a much, much uh, smarter old uh, guy. A trained theologian? Yes. But I think that God's wrath is absolutely necessary. And it's because of God's wrath. That makes God's mercy worth anything at all, or yeah, I think I think it's because of God's anger towards sin, which makes God's mercy all that much more meaningful. Because God's wrath, once again, is set above. It's far more than we can comprehend. God is more angry at sin than you are more angry at anything. He hates it that much. And but in the same way, God's mercy is just as holy and set above. It's the same thing as the goodness um his wrath is greater by necessity because what we understand of anger is derived from him he gave anger to us to hate evil just like he does and so anything any amount of anger that we can um experience is derivative from his ultimate anger (laughs) And at the end, the loving mercy of God and the awe-inspiring, powerful wrath of God is not a contradiction. The fact that God's a loving and a merciful God isn't a weakness of God. It's not God saying, like, oh, I'm really angry, did you sin? But, you know, oh, well, it's not at all anything that works like that. That I'm I'm gonna transition more to like the loving part of God now. I think we pretty much covered. Let's get out of the angst. (laughs) We covered the wrath of God pretty well. Is that overall God's wrath is necessary and it's righteous, and God's love doesn't contradict that in any way. And like we said, I think that God's wrath makes God's love all that much more meaningful because God is once again holy in all these aspects. This is the nature of God. This is an essence of God. Is that God is love. That's not a verb. That's a noun. God is love. That's who he is. And, you know, there's this little underrated scripture, John 3.16. Um, I haven't heard it all that much. <laughs> that God so loved the world. Because God loves everything that he's created. Not because these things have done anything to earn his love but just simply because it's God's nature to love. Mm. 
and this especially extends to humanity because humanity is supposed to be the crown jewel of that creation. And I think the interesting thing about God's love is to understand that you could never earn God's love. God's love for you is immutable and unchanging just like God is. I think when I was younger, I used to view God's love as like this wave or this scale of like, when I did bad things, God loved me less. And when I did good things, God loved me more. Mm-hmm. Or that God loved Pastor Chad more because Pastor Chad was a pastor who worked at the church and he loved old little Cole a whole lot less because old little Cole was just a dirty, dirty old teenager. But the thing is, is God loves everybody <clears throat> the same and there's nothing you could do to earn that love. There's nothing you could do to make that love go away. It's it's truly an unconditional love. It is the only unconditional love that exists in the world. Because I think we like to compare it to our own love, how we love. And our love is less than perfect. There are some examples of love in this world from humans that, like I said, love, the love comes from God, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we can never reach that same level of God, love of God. I think the closest you would ever see to on this planet is like, a parent to a child that's the closest you're ever going to see to an unconditional love but even that has limits in our human limitations mm-hmm. I, I, it just really hit me in a crazy way to start understanding that there's nothing also there's nothing I can do to make God love me any less but there's nothing I can do to make God love me any more at all there's nothing I've done that affects God's love at all it's totally unconditional from what I do from what any of us have done. Like I said, God doesn't look upon human standards or human actions to he loves us guide for, his will. He loves us for who we are, not what we do. He loves you for who you are because you are his creation. Mm. Because of that, he loves you. He didn't choose to love people because they are lovable. I think like, you compare that to which especially, it irks me a little bit with the whole movement of love right now. Because Freaking hippies. It's <laughs> such... Bullcrap. Because we have such a messed up view of love. Topic. The movement of love right now hurts me a little bit because what society keeps calling love is not love. It's the movement of conditional love. Mm-hmm. Or just conditional affection. They say, hey, guys, we need to show more love to each other. There needs to be love to shine out the hate in the world right now. It's not even that. It's They're co-opting the word love to mean... Um, nice. Yeah. Their kindness is what they're trying... Which is an aspect of love, obviously, but an eighth. <laughs> um, I don't even think you could boil it down. Enough. Oh, no, you can't boil it down to numbers, <laughs> but... You know what I'm saying? That they're implying that, oh, you said a mean uh, thing that I didn't like, or uh, you expressed a different opinion, or you're from a different area, or... They think love is what's pleasant at the moment. (laughs) And so they're... And they don't see any difference in trying to shove that idea of pleasantness on other people as if that wasn't breaking even their concept of love much less 
the reality. It just shows a another aspect that makes our job so much harder. Because when we say, God loves you, that means something very different to us than it does to the average person that's like, here's that. And there's, they think we're saying, God just wants to make your life hunky-dory all the time and mm -hmm. make uh, nothing but pillows and rainbows and sunshine. What a phone call. Mm -hmm. I'll be back in a second. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to use this time to talk about inappropriate things while Cole can't hear us. We're going to slide that into the podcast. Uh. You know what? You, you know, about? I almost think like we should just leave that in the podcast. And that way, when somebody comes in to me and be like, Yo, what's going on with your podcast? I'll be like, you listened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. You, be, you heard us make an inappropriate joke. That I'm would so be, glad. So basically, if I saw like... If I saw a couple of people being like, hey, Cole, we need to talk to you about something, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, a podcast you <laughs> listen to. Oh. oh, please don't do that to me. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to get back on track. <laughs> I mean, we've pretty much said everything. We know what love is. God is love. Nobody else knows what love is because they think it's kindness. And, you know, we talked about love a little bit in the podcast about, you know, God creating love and stuff, but... God didn't create love. God, God is love. God is the, God's ultimate manifestation of His love. Is shown in the sacrifice of God, the sacrifice of Christ. If anyone truly understands the weight of the sacrifice, there is no power on earth that can separate them from joy unending. And I think a good way to end the podcast would be reading Romans eight thirty-five through thirty-nine. You should say in the episode instead of in the podcast. It's the first episode I'm allowed to have mistakes. You are a mistake, cool. You know what? I probably would. <laughs> I probably would have done better if I hadn't been distracted by your incredibly inappropriate joke earlier. The one that we cut out. <laughs> I'm sorry if any of you hear it. You're not going to because we're probably not going to upload this, and but he's Cole's also not sorry absolutely going to cut this out. No, and I, I if any of you hear this, I'm going to kill Cole. I'm very sorry. Please don't judge me. I think we're going to upload this one because I told everyone I'd have it up so that oh, okay. once they were at Disney, they could listen to it on the way It's back. really not that bad, but I still don't want you to hear it, so Cole's going to cut it. <laughs> 35, 39. Um, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and not in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Seeking after an understanding of God is the foundation you have to go after to build your Christianity off. You can't serve a master that you don't know. Why would you throw yourself to the service of a king 
that you don't understand. If you understand who God is, that's going to change your motivation for Christianity. Because, like it's been said, too many of us make the motivation for Christianity to get to heaven. But our true motivation at the end of the day should be to glorify God. And by having an understanding of where we stand with God and who God is, is the basis that we have to deal with. It's our foundation, our cornerstone. So um, let's end it with prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that these words, that um, through just my own broken mind and my own broken mouth, I pray that there would be some of your light in these words. God, I pray that there would be some of your glory to shine through the cracks. God, I pray for anyone who's listening to this podcast that wants to know you more. God, I pray that you would reveal that to them. God, I pray that you would show them your goodness, your mercy, your holiness. And God, may this podcast be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wasn't half that bad. <laughs>